0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom, this is To Stir With Love, a criminal justice reform podcast. I'm Avram Kivalevich, and I'm here with uh, Rabbi Benjamin Shaiman, who has been with us uh, over the last two months. Uh, Rebben Yalman is the founder, executive director of Hinda Helps, which is a uh, wonderful institution that deals with the incarcerated individual, their families, ministering to them, helping them uh, uh, before, during, and after. Uh, Rebben Yalman, we thank you for being here. We also have two gentlemen uh, who have experienced incarceration. And uh, one of them has been on the show before, David. We also have Joel, who is uh, new to our program. Hopefully, uh, this won't be his last time um, here with us. Uh, and we're here to talk. For Benjamin and Joel and David, we're here to talk about something which is perhaps missed when people think about the uh, situation of criminal justice reform, which is the status of the health system, um, the the we're going to hear tonight uh, stories of how truly horrid certain uh, certain prisons are and how many uh, incarcerated individuals over and beyond their sentence, deserve it or not, are also placed in a, in a situation where they are also being threatened uh, by diseases that, uh, that could shorten their lives or perhaps even kill them. And definitely debilitate them and affect them. Um, I think that uh, uh, this is something that uh, is not for the squeamish, but on the other hand, I think that if we don't discuss it, this is something that should appeal to all of us, uh, no matter what you think about the crime uh, the person committed. Uh, The sentence was to be in prison. The sentence was to be dis- disconnected from your family. The sentence was to be in solitude or to be away, and to uh, to be a penitentiary. To think about how perhaps you could change your life and do things different, and but not to be in a place where um, you were actually open to a plethora of diseases that could. Uh, bring you to an early grave. Rabbi Scheinman, I know that uh, you have some thoughts about this. Uh, why don't you give us a, a Torah perspective uh, from where you're coming from before we introduce?
1: Which they are. Just to be hospitalized in itself is is a trauma. is very hard, is an isolation. And especially in the past year during COVID, hospitalization really was like a solitary confinement. They they wouldn't even let people in. Um, and, and And incarceration, obviously, is a big trauma, and it's an isolation. so imagine somebody having to suffer both of those together at the same time um, it, it's just so interesting how it remembers you so when I came to Chicago and started going to the prison, so over forty years i'm sure every single uh, scenario that Jola David has uh, spoken about, whether it's Cook county jail, the county system the state systems or the federal system, none of them, I believe, at least in my opinion, are up to par. In fact, in Illinois, there is a, a big law firm, Denton's, and they have won a lawsuit against the state of Illinois for having improper mental health, but also generally the whole healthcare system. The state has been sued. The state has lost. It's hard to monitor. And um, it, it, and, and part of the problem, just my observation as a non-professional, just a guy coming in and watching. Um, I don't know what it is, but, and, and maybe the gentleman could say, I, it, it was, it's not usual that I find a, uh, a doctor inside a prison that actually has, has English as their first language. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't know if the prisons are getting the really, um, Low level doctors that can't get a job in a regular hospital or are not really qualified enough to be in a big, nice uh, place and they get end up in prisons. But I can tell you just the staff, they get in there. I am not. And I'm not saying there's not good doctors. I'm not saying people's lives are not saved. I know men that were, were treated properly. And usually it's because they were diagnosed and then were able to get to an outside hospital. things get serious you go to the outside the half side hospital there's already normal doctors but then i think compounded upon that is the the budgets of the state these are insurance companies a lot of them that run these places and they've got to approve every procedure and i don't think uh, they're looking to spend money and they things that really would be addressed by your primary care physician on the street pronto right away in the prison it can take has to go through a board has to be considered until they get to see you and then sometimes because of insurance reasons they push it off they push it off they push it off by the time you get to the outside doctor you say what took you so long so uh i i really think it's an area when prison reform is seriously spoken about this has to be one of the major areas they have to have first class um uh, doctors and care uh, and, and again it 's traumatic enough to be in the prison
0: is the fact that when you 're dealing with a, uh, a a concentrated place like a prison where there are so many people and sometimes in very overcrowded facilities, the spread of disease is much more rampant than it is in the in, in general society, so and I think that 's another Issue that needs to be considered, obviously, um, when we, whether we're talking about something like, uh, you know, the flu or talking about some other sort of infectious disease, obviously, extra care needs to be taken in prison to make sure that none of that occurs because of the fact that you have that concentration. Um, I want to bring in Joel. Joel, thank you for being with us. I know that um, uh, you know you you have your story of how you, uh, have, uh, got, you were able to get through your prison experience, but just barely, the way I understand it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the health issues that you face there?
2: Well, I want to thank also you for having me on the, on the program. Uh, it, it's very uh, important to get the message out to everybody. And I want to thank the Rebbe for speaking about it uh, and also putting a stamp On the whole situation, Um, you know, he he brought up one thing that I wasn't originally going to speak about, but I'm going to touch on it. And in the county system, where in Los in 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 uh, our situation here in California, you go through the county first, and then you go to reception, and then you go to the main prison that you're going to stay in for the rest of the time. And my time in the county. The county is like a Neanderthal, okay? Basically, the county, I get into county, they don't believe in an asthmatic. They don't believe in the fact that you could have major allergies and major asthma, which could cause major breathing issues. They throw you into situations to make you suffer, okay, then, in order to get out of the suffering, which they won't give you medication for, they'll throw you into a hole, into a cell, that like you're crazy, completely naked, uh, at uh, a 50 degree temperature, with nothing to cover you, uh, and throwing food at you for as long as they deem necessary to change your philosophy on whether or not you're crazy or not, and going to kill yourself. Or your, or kill other people. So, Joel,
0: let me just understand you were in a county prison on your way to the state prison. That's what that's was correct. There. The that county prison correct. was
2: a holding area. It was it, they, the Los Angeles County uh, uh, prisons, uh, Los Angeles County jail is a full on jail that houses about uh, 20,000 people on any given moment. Okay, so it's, it's an overcrowded full jail system and some people just stay in jail and the average person stays in the county jail you know maybe 7 8 weeks if they're going off to off to you know a main prison sometimes it's less sometimes it's more i ended up spending 7 weeks and like i said my first week there i was taken i was told because i was asthmatic and i was brand new into the system and they thought I was going to commit suicide. They took me and threw me into a suicide cell completely naked. They don't throw you drugs. They don't give you anything else. They just throw you in there, throw food at you and try to change your perception of whether or not you're going to kill yourself or not. So that was the, that was the entree into the medical care or that the mental health care in county jail going into the state system in California.
0: So, And, and while you were in this this hell, uh, hell hole, literally, you weren't able to connect to your lawyer or
2: to other people that you could... Nobody. In fact, they wouldn't even talk to me. Okay? I was freezing to death. In this cell, because I couldn't have anything, they throw these these uh, crazy pads on top of you. They'll give you a pad, and because LA County keep LA's County Jail keeps their jail at such a cold temperature, you almost freeze to death before. I mean, I you see. could be dead by the time your time in this little thing is over.
0: You know, obviously, you know, we're hearing it from your perspective and our sympathies go to you that you had to go through that and you have more to come. But was there something in your uh, pardon me for using this expression, was something in your rap sheet or what they had about you for them to say that for them to suspect that you you were on suicide watch? Was there something there? Why? why, Where did they come up with this
2: idea? Uh, You know what? I was the lowest level of prisoner that could have gotten into The county jail there. I was deemed at a very low level, not violent, uh, short sentence. And at the end of the day, no, there was nothing in my in my background or rap sheet or anything to do with me that would cause them to think I would commit suicide or hurt somebody else. Um, I was not violent.
0: Okay. So this sort of it, it sounds like, you know, a sadistic. Attitude that they seem to meet out to anyone that is in that holding area. That's what it seems like. Is what you're saying?
2: Absolutely, a very sadistic attitude. Uh,
0: So, so tell us a little bit. I I know you went. You've you've mentioned L.A. uh, California is where you served your sentence in one of the California state prisons. Um, So, so tell us about uh, the quality of the healthcare there and what you went through specifically.
2: Okay, so the quality of the healthcare and uh, the Rebbe touched on it a bit as to whether or not these doctors are from the, the bottom of the pile from the medical society. Whether or not they're actually true doctors, we don't really know that either. But just to get into a doctor, you have to put in a request. If you're very sick, basically they'll bring you to the hospital in the prison And then potentially send you directly to the hospital. But if you've got something that's sort of low level, that's building, uh, you have to go through the normal requisition process in order to get even an appointment to see the doctor. And then 90% of the time, the doctor won't see you, but you'll see a nurse. And the nurse basically will tell you, take a few of these, go home, you'll be fine. Or, or go, um,
0: go to your cell, in other words. Yes.
2: In <laughs> yeah. my case, I was in a dormitory with 250 other people, so mm-hmm. uh, I was in a dorm setting. Now, and you my said person-
0: you had to. Re- Let me just interrupt you for a second. You know, because for our listeners, you know, obviously, you know, you, you say, you, I know you're you're not allowed phones. You can't. Um, uh, so, how did you make that requisition? Was there someone who who every day or every week? uh is is there available how do you how do you request seeing a doctor when you okay. are incarcerated
2: so, so i was in a level 1 prison setting which is the loosest of all prison settings in the state of california now i happened to be in what they considered in quotes the medical prison in california so therefore a med- medical and mental health prison in California. So therefore it was what they call a level one secured where they lock the doors every hour. You get to go out anytime you want, you can get the forms to fill out anytime you want. You submit the form, you bring it to, you know, your, 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 uh, your, your CEO, you give them the form. It gets turned into the medical the next day and then or you bring it to medical itself, they have a little box, it goes in and the next day they get the requisition and then a couple of days later they see you.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so you so. something so let's let's skip to where some condition
2: was developing okay.
0: with you. What was that okay. condition?
2: So I had gotten an infection in my leg. It looked like a rash to start, but my leg was growing. Okay. I was it was getting swollen. Okay. It looked blue, it was swollen. Um, I happened to be in a job in the prison where I went outside the gates and actually was around an area where um, the guards and the medical staff were taking training classes. And it just happened to be, as it was growing bigger and bigger, since the doctor wouldn't see me, okay, uh, I happened to run into him at the training program and I showed him what was going on. And he looked at me and he goes, You know, I've had rashes before. He laughed it off. He said, You know, we all get rashes. You'll live. Just go back to your dorm and say la vie. And so I went back to my dorm and days go by. They still won't see me. He won't see me on the, the situation. Finally, my leg is probably now the size of my thigh my my lower leg is now the size of my thigh and i'm developing a pretty high fever okay and i'm walking around the dorm everybody's saying you've got an infection you've got cellulitis or, or some sort of infection in your leg and if it's not treated right away the way your leg looks they're gonna have to cut your leg off and so you better you know go man down And actually say, you got to get to the hospital. So finally, I got to the point where, you know what? So, first of all. What is
0: that phrase you use, man down? What does that mean, man down?
2: Man down means you're in a situation where you need immediate medical treatment. Immediate. So,
0: so in Yiddish, we'd say you plots. In other words, you basically yes. get a you say, I I you just plots on the floor and say, Help me, help me, help me. I can't even move, right? I've fallen and I can't get up.
2: Right. But it, it's it's sort of the man down situation. But man down, you could be standing there and be man down, but absolutely, you're just you're in a desperate medical situation where you need to get rushed somewhere. Uh-huh. Okay. So they grab me. They bring me over to the hospital, the local, the in-house hospital in the, in the prison, the prison hospital, where they have doctors there. The doctor looked at me, took my temperature, said, this is a problem. They called the ambulance right away. The ambulance comes. And of course, the ambulance ride, you're, you're completely chained up. Um, you know, it doesn't matter how sick you are you're in chains, waist, arms, legs, in a, in, a, uh, in a situation in one of those gurneys, they roll you onto the ambulance, you're all chained up, they, you know, they, they put oxygen on you, and they take you to the hospital, which is about, could be anywhere from, depending on the time of the day, 45 minutes to three hours away, okay? During the middle of the day, traffic could take three hours. Um, so they in, other, in, the, other, in
0: other words, there's, there's a state mandate to go to certain hospitals, not yes. like when someone uh, is in a medical emergency on the outside, where the where the ambulance takes them to the nearest facility that can treat them. They actually, because of, I guess, the, the prison rules, or as Rabbi Scheiman said, the insurance rules, you end up having to go to a facility which is much farther, perhaps, than... Uh,
2: than the normal and you have to absolutely absolutely because they're the prison they're the ones that will intake prisoners uh, and there's two types of rooms they will either put you in in that hospital there is a cell room which is an actual cell that's been converted to a, a medical room where they actually have you know full locking doors cells the whole thing you don't have to have Chains when you're in it, or they put you in a normal room where they chain you to the bed. Either one or the other. Okay, so I. In other words, basically, you
0: get the Hannibal Lecter treatment.
2: That's right. So I get to the hospital, and then they stick you in a holding room. Okay, and that takes hours. And I've got a fever now, probably of 103, maybe more, and. These people aren't even coming in and seeing me. I'm just, I'm livid. I mean, I, you know, I I don't know what's going to happen here. I feel like I'm dying. Okay. And I'm in this holding room and that takes about two, three, four hours till they can even find me a bed in the hospital. And finally they find me a bed after this many hours and they determine that I'm really sick and I better get up to a room and have the doctor treat me. They rush me up to a room. OK, and the first thing they do is they say, we can't reduce your fever with with medicine. We're going to have to put ice cubes on you. And my fever had gotten so high. The nurses, they're holding ice cubes on my body to try to reduce my fever to a level where it is um, reasonable to keep me alive at that point. Um, and they hooked me up to some major IVs. And start pumping antibiotics into my system, and really start the whole process.
0: David, you know, I'm sorry, um, Joel. The I think just want to remind everyone who's listening here that unlike a person who would be rushed to a hospital uh, on the outside, where the family would be um, informed, where loved ones could be at the bedside. You were going through this, as Rabbi Scheidman said, in the most desperate, lonely situation. I know that you your family has stayed with you throughout your right throughout your ordeal. Yes. They and they didn't even know what was going on, did they?
2: Uh, They had no idea what was going on. In fact, I was given a piece of paper prior to going to uh, the hospital That was supposedly I was signing for my wife to be able to get information on my whereabouts, except they gave me the wrong form. They gave me the form that basically signed away my life in case I passed away, that they would get informed of my passing away. And that was it. Okay, (laughs) but otherwise they were not informed of me being in the hospital in which I stayed a solid week. Even more
0: than a week, and we all know. I mean that uh, studies have shown that patients that have family that are there visiting them, encouraging them, do much much better. No matter what the disease is, even if it's cancer. So So clearly, you know, where you were without your family, uh, you were definitely in a a difficult situation. That where all the odds were were stacked against you. So when they got your fever down, did they finally figure out what you had and how they were going to treat you?
2: Well, the first thing they decided was they may need to cut my leg off. And they were telling me that we may need to cut your leg off. And I told them, I'm a healthy human being. I've never had a situation like this before. And you are not cutting my leg off. And you must cure me. And my leg is staying on my body no matter what. I don't have diabetes. I don't have anything else that would exacerbate the problem. I have some sort of infection that grew in my body, and they allowed it to get beyond control. So I said, just keep feeding me antibiotics until it's gone. And, you know, they they tried.
0: So after a week of very strong antibiotics, uh, they were able to uh, cure, or at least... Uh, get it under control. And I wow. think you mentioned to me uh, before we started recording that it was basically a, a pretty standard cellulitis, cellulitis infection, correct?
2: Yes. And then it grew into something that got worse because the infection started growing into my the rest of my body, through my bloodstream, through my body. Right. So, so your,
0: your white blood cell count became so high from the infection that, that there was a a risk of sepsis in the whole system that's what they Abs- were worried
2: about absolutely and i already have an autoimmune disease that causes my white blood cells to be overactive in the first place mm-hmm. and this exacerbated them and i have rheumatoid arthritis and i have hashimoto's disease on top of it and between everything you know my white blood cells go crazy so it was really bad absolutely and and that was That was a tame situation. You know, the second situation was even worse. Oh, boy. There's there's more, as they say. There's more. (laughs) The second situation came just a few months later. Um, This was the first situation was like in October, November of uh, uh, 2019. The second situation came in early February of 2020. Okay, and as we all know, what happened in early 2020 was uh, the COVID situation and they didn't know anything about COVID at the time, but we were in a dorm in which completely filthy. um, The only circulation we had were fans that were covered in dust about six inches thick Um, Just blowing around germs constantly. We were three feet apart from each other. And it got to be the point where you had people all around you just coughing into the air constantly, day and night, day and night. Okay. And again, with my autoimmune issues and things like that, the next thing I know, I started feeling really ill and couldn't breathe. Okay, And so, again, it took a lot of time to get through to the doctor to tell him that this was going on. And again, it came to the point where I had to yell man down and run to the you know, this was during the daytime, luckily. So I got over to the doctor's office and just fell in the doctor's office and said, listen, guys, I am really sick. I can't breathe. You know, my my oxygen is just not going into my lungs. Um, they take me over to the local hospital real quick. They X ray me. They see a left lower lobe pneumonia or something going on, and they say, "Uh oh, we better send them to the hospital." And again, the same process. They chain you up. They throw you into the gurney. You so know,
0: can I can I jump in and say yeah. that w- was it the COVID nineteen? Is
2: that what you had? Well, here's the deal. They weren't testing at the time. I get to the hospital, and the hospital has no idea what it is, except they said, our prison's been carrying mumps around, so they better isolate me just in case I have mumps. Well, I don't have mumps. I have pneumonia. Okay. So then they take me, and they put me back into that holding cell thing, and I'm in there, and I'm half, you know, hardly able to breathe. They keep setting me up with EKGs, things like that. Don't say your heart's fine. All this is fine. You know, maybe your oxygen level is really pretty low. So we better get you upstairs. They finally find a room like three hours later, they get me into a room and then they put a 10 over me. Okay. Because after they figure out it wasn't mumps. Okay. Cause they had done some sort of blood test, They think I have tuberculosis. Okay. And they start saying you have tuberculosis you're going to be in the hospital now for a long time and i go i do not have tuberculosis i said i've never had it usually if you have tuberculosis it's in the family it's something you know you don't just automatically catch tuberculosis you know they didn't know what COVID was at the time so supposedly i have tuberculosis so they after a few days of testing they figure out I don't have tuberculosis, they take the tents down, but at the end of the day, I probably had COVID. They didn't test for COVID, but I probably had COVID. And-
0: we, we uh, Joe, we know that that story, although it wasn't as uh, as as dire and as gruesome, was probably happening to a lot of patients in February and early March 2020. Because uh, COVID had already arrived, it just hadn 't been recognized and there and, and, and everybody really was it, uh, was as we know uh, was puzzled and uh, paralyzed about what to do. Your situation was probably you know, exacerbated because of all the, the the labyrinth of red tape and other issues. Of being a prisoner, but I think part of what—and we've talked about it on this program before—with Rabbi Kolakowski, who isn't here with us tonight, about what happened in many, many prisons, where, for example, in the state of Pennsylvania, where he is there, they sent home so many prisoners because of uh, COVID, and because they realized this was a, a a walking time bomb. They realized with the proximity and, as you say, how close everyone was, um, the lack of outdoors. Uh, So there were there were prisons that perhaps dealt with it better. It sounds like in California, they didn't do such a they didn't do such a great job at all in terms of managing their covid problem.
2: And our prison was the incubator for California. What had happened in our prison is our prison brought it in from another prison. Okay, or supposedly brought it in from another prison. It could have been guards. It could have been anybody. Once it was discovered, they started playing the shell game with the people. They weren't taking anybody out. What they were doing is they were treating them like shells and basically saying, okay, we're going to take this group and put them into this dorm. We're going to take that group, put them into that dorm, and this is isolation. Once they've been in isolation for two weeks, and we figure after two weeks, like you're hearing all over the news that they should be clear they were sent back to the dorm while well, what they were doing is they were creating a bigger problem they were sending people back to the dorm that were infected okay and they were infecting everybody right. now and finally because, which on- is
0: what a, which occurred in the nursing homes and uh, right. the former governor of New York was you know was 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 guilty of that as well and that's what was going on in the prisons so 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 Joel and and I think you know obviously the 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 mismanagement and the the all the mistakes that were done in even the normal health facilities i'm sure were exa- the, all those mistakes were exacerbated and and much worse in the prison populations uh, in, all over the country it sounds especially in california you know i want to bring in david now david spoke on this program earlier uh, and and before we bring in David, I first want to say Joel, despite uh you know the the literal hell and that you've been through, you still are able to speak about it with i guess um i don't know if it's humor but definitely a sort of an ironic understanding, and you know i, I have to I have to credit your you have a fortitude that is able to feel that you, that you weren't shattered by it david you you've talked about how Almost, I guess, what's your response to to Joel's story,
3: David? Well, first, I want to thank all of you for having me once again. Uh, I I was very uh, moved by Joel's story because it was, as you say, he's very humble and very, um, I don't know the word humorous, but very uh, self-effacing in how he describes the situation, very relaxed. And, but he and I both who've lived through this, albeit he in the state system and I in the federal system, I can tell you there are many parallels, um, uh, different logistics, but many parallels nevertheless in the two systems. Uh, as Rabbi Scheiman noted, there's a combination of factors here, and as Joel noted, a combination of factors here that leads to the problem. Um, I'll talk about my situation in a moment, which was positive, by the way, but I want to start with the negatives because they're not, there's something that our listeners need to be aware of because presumably many of our listeners have loved ones incarcerated. The rabbi hit it on the head when he spoke about the insurance issues, and really I want to touch upon the issue of manpower in general. You have, generally speaking, and I was in uh, three federal prisons, each of which were populated with approximately 1,400 inmates, you had one physician. Uh, Joe makes a good point. Uh, we actually questioned whether one 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 of these physicians was actually a, a board-certified physician. Turns out there was a real question mark there. But in any event, assuming they are true physicians and licensed physicians in that particular state, what you have, though, is you have a caseload that that doctor technically is responsible for all 1,400, but physician assistants. In our particular case in federal prison, it's not nurses by and large. It's physician assistants, many of whom have really essentially no formal medical degree at all, making key decisions on your on your welfare. And even at that, as Joel mentioned, and again true in the federal system, the the, the ability to see even a physician assistant takes days at best. And I I can tell you from my own personal experience, I witnessed those. Who had cancer-like symptoms and who probably, when first reaching out to healthcare, uh, the healthcare group at that particular prison, might have been a stage one diagnosis, ended up being a stage four diagnosis within six months because they weren't taken seriously or the inmate who had chest pains who was told, go lay down and was found you know, dead the next morning in, in his cell. So these situations I saw, I witnessed. Mental health as well, terribly suffering in prison. I mean, I was on the suicide watch companion team for many years at three federal prisons. And I I sat and I watched what Joel was mentioning about throwing these inmates in nude into a uh, cell and throwing food at them. The idea here was, I quickly learned, is to convince these guys, you're not really suicidal, you're really a fake. And we're going to figure that out within a day or two, then you'll be back in general population. There isn't any active uh, mental health assistance as a practical matter. And I was in many federal prisons speaking again to that system. Yeah. And I can tell you, too, and I want to speak to this very quickly, the sex offenders who we've spoken about on other shows here, they're getting virtually no help in the federal prisons. These are addicts, by and large, who need mental health assistance. They're not getting it. And mm-hmm. that's a, that's criminal in and of itself. Now, so, uh, yeah. I'm sorry.
0: So. I'm not saying it's great in the federal system, but it's better than the the usual state system. Definitely better than the state of California. I think that that's something that we could say. It's still, as you say, it's, there's too much red tape. There's too much weight. Still, the other thing I wanted to ask you, um, uh, David, um, you know, I, I sort of want to push back just a little. You know, PAs, as you call them, physician assistants, it, they, they, you know, it, it's not... Um, you know, it's not a, you know, a barber who happens to also pull teeth. You know, they did go through medical training. They do have to pass tests. They do have to go through the boards. Uh, PAs are actually used uh, throughout, especially in Canada and other places. I know they aren't as specialized and they don't have the same amount of training, but when don't you think it's a little bit? Um, it's a little bit incorrect to assume just because the person's a PA that they have no idea what they're, what's happening when, when, when a disease presents itself. Um,
3: I can only, I can only tell you in my experience and I lived through it with many inmates who ended up filing administrative and legal civil rights actions against the prison and these individuals. Remember as a practical matter, the PA had to act as a doctor. Is it? because the, the physician again there's only one he was almost never seeing an inmate as a practical matter what he would typically do is see you once a year for an annual physical but if you have any kind of problem on a, on a you know on a, on a necessary basis to get help you're going to see the physician assistant
0: right and and, and, and the, the, I, I want to tell you that's true in many over small and over assistance ascendance so to speak is something that's happening throughout the health system uh, not just in the prisons and you're right, it, 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 the numbers sound uh, extremely uh, wrong for every, in other words, one doctor for 1,400 prisoners, correct?
3: And then one physician assistant for about two to 300 mm-hmm. right. Uh, inmates. Right. So that
0: sounds, years. but you know, one thing also, David, uh, you mentioned this to me uh, in, in a different forum, that you think that it isn't just... The cruelty, I mean, the sex offenders we 've talked about how there's a an attitude rabbi Scheiman knows this as well uh, that let them suffer you know in other words they 're in prison and let them get more than what uh, was the, the sentence let them let them have all the terrible things happen to them, even if it wasn 't part of what the judge ruled and we talked about that before and how unjust that is and how, uh, as you say, we, didn't, we don't treat them as people that are ill uh, in, in that way. Um, so so I, I understand that, and, and I understand how that is a, a, a wrong that needs to be addressed. But there's another thing that you once mentioned to me, and it wasn't that long ago, that you think that some of the uh, suspicion and why there's so much red tape is because they are worried about people who are abusing it that they are there are people who are in prison because they are habitual offenders and the disease that they say they have is 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 is, is a fiction and what they're and the reason right there are many who abuse the system by faking illness in order to either get off a work detail or for some other more devious reason isn't that correct david
3: that is true that's very true and i witnessed it and um both, both, and I don't know that Joe may speak to this as well or he might have experienced this, my view was was that both, that inmates quickly realized that religion and health care are two areas where they could try to uh, work the system, if you will, um, to get certain benefits. And,
0: and Rabbi Scheiman mentioned that Lenny there will say and do anything in order to make their life a little bit better. And I think it's because of that, Uh, it's definitely unjust what happened to to Joel. But because of that, that's why there's this dismissive attitude for anything, any rash or any bug bite or anything um, uh, to say that the spider bite is not MRSA and to say that the rash is not cellulitis, because in, in so many cases, it isn't it is just a rash. And what the prisoner is trying to do is to get off the detail.
3: Well, that's very true. It's the, it's the old crying wolf syndrome. Uh, there's an old saying in prison that it's always the inmate who screws things up for the inmates. There is truth to that to a large degree. But I guess my point is, and getting back to what point, you're never going to have an effective healthcare system. And I think we should add dental to it too, because the dental issues are just as severe largely as the medical ones in the federal system, I can tell you. The numbers alone When I talk about one physician for 1,400 or two or 300 inmates per physician assistant, that's just not rational as a practical matter. That can't work. You can't have effective treatment with one psychologist for, in the the case of my 1,400 inmate prisons, there were seven or 800 sex offenders needing uh, mental health assistance. One, one psychologist and then psychologist assistance to the one made psychologist. That's not going to cut it. And my view is they know that. And my view is this is a big business and they're not truly trying to assist these people. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And
2: I, th- this sounds like a small. I don't know. Uh, it's just... in, the, in the state system in California, it takes you six months to get to even see a dentist. So you better not have an abscess. You better not have an emergency like that. Or else, again, the only way to treat it is to be sent to an emergency hospital, okay? Because the dentist won't see you for six months. So like David said, there aren't enough staff, enough people to treat uh, the amount of people that are complaining about issues, okay? Now, as David did, in you know, speak of, whereas the fakers, yeah, there are a lot of fakers out there. In the prison I was in, the fakers were faking uh, mostly to get drugs, okay, to get pain meds, to get uh, certain drugs. These are drug addicts that have to fake in order to keep their habit going, okay? So they would fake in order to get these drugs, you know, yeah. Um- and we're here in the humid, sweltering New Jersey. Um,
0: I don't know how it is in the Midwest, but I think you know our view of California um, is this enlightened, uh, you know, place where you know the movie stars are are out there arguing for people's rights and uh, things are extremely liberal and understanding. And yet, when I did a search uh, yesterday, I realized that. You know, the amount of incarcerated people, the overcrowding that in, in, ca- California, I think, is the number two state or number one or number two state in terms of overcrowded prisons, right? They are, which is incredible considering how, you know, California is supposedly the most, the people, the most the enlightened people are the ones that run and govern California. Don't you find that ironic, uh, Joel?
2: Enlightened, except. The prison industrial complex is so huge in California. The PO uh, 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 union is the second largest union in the state of California. So they have to keep feeding the beast. And the only way to feed the beast is to put people in prison. Okay. And once they're in prison, they keep making money. Okay. And, the state loves it. The state loves the funding for the prison. So that's what they keep doing. But it's doing strange
0: it. that none of those funds can go to uh, competent doctors or more doctors. Uh, that should, you know, again, if there's money in the system, why isn't that money being outlaid? Uh, because
2: to... well, well, why are the POs driving around in $200,000 cars and have homes in areas that are you know, California, but uh, these guys are living in, you know, 800, 900 million dollar plus homes, you know, on salaries that are supposed to be, you know, 60 grand while well, they ended up making, you know, 150 to 200 with all the allocation of overtime and everything that they're doing in order to scam the system and they end up with all the extra money. So uh, that's where all the money's going. It's not going to me I,
0: I think we've reached a point here where we could probably sit back or any average listener would say, how can, this, how can we make this more humane? What can we do to make this better? Um, is there any way, for example, that a person's private insurance that he had before he was incarcerated can somehow be extended uh, into uh, uh, the prison situation? Is, is there some way that... You know, why is it that if you were, you know, uh, on Obamacare, whatever it was that you were uh, uh, subscribed to, why can't that carry over to you in order that, it, right? To, it, this, pres- is,
3: this is why, this is the overall global concept. While we're incarcerated, the prison is our guardian, our legal guardian. This is why family cannot visit me when I'm in a hospital being treated for cancer Even if I'm literally stage four and dying within a week, if my family comes, they will turn me away, the prison guards under the guise that they have complete legal responsibility and authority over my life. And the family is out of the picture. Similarly, those insurances will never be allowed because that will involve them, the prison system losing control over how it uh, maintains their health practices and health systems. It's a control issue, ultimately, under the guise that they are our guardian and they are legal representative. That once,
0: if the family can pay the premiums, it would seem that that money should be available and, and, and therefore could still cover their loved one who's who's in who's in the prison in some some fashion. Uh, and they're,
3: they're the, You're being very logical and it makes great sense. <laughs> issues have been discussed for decades oh, and, and the question is why hasn't there now that's not to say we shouldn't keep fighting for change I'm just I'm trying to you know explain certain realities up until this point
1: yeah may, may I share something
2: point. sure Rabbi Shimon. yeah and many years that the way they handled COVID in California is they decided to transfer prisoners from our prison to another prison which was San Quentin and when they transferred the prisoners they transferred them with covid and it infected the whole prison and and san quentin had 1200 people immediately get infected and so they decided to blame the head of medical in the system and he gets fired and that was their answer to it and that was it
0: you know it- you know, we are the the first responders and the people that were that were out on the front lines were lauded and were considered heroes, um, and it would seem that you know, that that the in the medical profession especially there should be some people like you know, uh, you know I'm thinking again I I we you know there was a uh, a film that with uh, I don't know if Joel if you saw it. I saw it once on television. I saw it again recently on the streaming service that my, my co-host uh, mentioned. Uh, it was um, uh, Paul Muni in The Last Angry Man. You might remember that, uh, that film. And he plays uh, a, a Jewish uh, uh, doctor in a ghetto neighborhood. And he's completely devoted, even though the people he's devoted to are, are thugs, are hooligans, don't pay him, uh, beat people up. Where are the Sam Abelman's where, are, you know, again, aren't there doctors that despite what you've done, they care about human beings? Where are those Peace Corps people who are who are traveling to Malaysia and working uh, with the underprivileged? Where is that? Where are those doctors? Where are those people that 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 don't just care for the book and for the for the, the home in Malibu? Where are those people who are who would work in the system? Is 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 it because the system is because it's tainted? I'm saying there are people out there, my friends, that are working in homeless shelters. There are people out there that are working in in, in hospitals that, uh, you know, like you know, like St. Elsewhere on, on television, like you remember, why can't we get similar type of why can't we zero in and find people, not just people who, who, who as Rabbi Scheinman said, are just fresh off the boat and don't really know better? Why can't we find the dedicated uh, uh, types of professionals that we see in other underprivileged in other areas? Is it because of the stigma of prison? Is that all it is?
2: Or they won't hire them.
3: Well, first of all, my view has always been that many of the um, long-term employees in a prison situation become themselves institutionalized. I think there's a lot of fear of quality doctors and PAs to go into the prison system because it's a very, very stressful. You know, they've done studies on the levels of depression. I don't know about suicide, but depression amongst uh, correctional officers, very, very high. Um, You know, and I assume that might go for the healthcare workers as well. It's a very, very stressful job. And I think that those who are doing their due diligence in advance of thinking about whether to get involved in that side of the business or that uh, industry, you know, pause because of what they find there. So I think there's, you know, the, a lot of quality people who give it thought end up passing on pursuing it for those reasons.
1: Yeah, well, I, I, th- I think similarly to what David said, th- there are idealistic doctors And since they are, that's specifically why they're not getting into the um, correctional, because they are not allowed to uh, practice their idealism, because they're being governed by these insurance companies that say you can't do this and cut costs there and don't do that. And therefore, why should they even get into a system which won't allow them to do it? If they go to a third world country, they'll be able to do what they want to do and save lives. They won't be able to do that in the prison. So why waste their time? That's By the way, Ra- Rabbi
3: Scheiman's right on the money. I want to just quickly Absolutely. say there was, a, there was a physician at Milan when I was there in Michigan. He was He was the best I saw. An African-American doctor, great guy, very qualified, quit after about eight months for that very— Now, I don't know this from him to me. But I know this from other staff because I was, you know, I I went through my cancer, so I became somewhat friendly with some of the staff. They actually told me that that's why he quit for the same reason Rabbi Scheinman's mentioning. He was not, not, I don't know the word would be idealistic, but he wanted to be able to practice medicine the correct way from his perspective. And he continued to be thwarted in his efforts by the quote unquote system, the insurance difficulties. The inability for him to make decisions alone, and as Rabbi Scheinman alluded to early on, having to go through multitudes of layers of of uh, bureaucracy to even make a really a simple decision from his point of view, he only lasted between six and eight months and and I believe that that is the reason he left because I came to know him, and I could see that, that you know he had that well you know
0: again there 's no easy solution, but I think talking about it and hopefully spreading the these stories will at least uh, begin to generate uh, talk, outrage, and thinking about some sort of solutions. And uh, unless we do that, uh, you know, it's not going to happen.
3: By the way, the reason I didn't want to mention or focus on my own cancer treatment, which was very possible. Thank
0: everybody for, you know, discussing something which is definitely, uh, uh, it's harrowing. It's difficult to hear about. uh, It's difficult, uh, uh, Joel, to go back and revisit where you were at. Um, and, and we thank you for your candor and sharing it. I know, Joel, you're planning on writing um, some sort of um, uh, a book. reportage, a book about yeah. what you've been through. And, Absolutely. right? And, you know, uh, uh, books have changed, right? Uh, you know, whether it's Alvin Toffler's uh, Future Shock or Jim uh, uh Ball Four, there's, there's books that, that nobody thought would be anything. And then they took on a life of their own and and made a difference. Hopefully your book and and, and your voice will be heard and others won't have to suffer the way you have. Well, that's about it, my friends. Uh, I want to thank everybody who was here tonight. Um, Hopefully we'll catch you uh, 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 next week on another edition here of To Stir With Love. Thank you. Difference. Hopefully your book... And, and 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 your voice will be heard and others won't have to suffer the way you have well that's about it my friends uh, I want to thank everybody who was here tonight um, hopefully we'll catch you uh, 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 next week on another edition here of To Stir With Love thank you thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode